With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What does it mean when a coach tells you all positions are up for grabs? I've heard a lot of coach speak over the years, one of which being it's all about how you respond. We appreciate y'all responding accordingly with us to the adversity that are technical issues, but we're fired up to have you in the show for us right now. We got Coach Mike Norvell about to join the show in just a few short minutes. Coach Steve Sarkeesian with Texas starting their spring ball yesterday, took the podium and did say all positions are up for grabs. But what does that mean? It's one thing to make that statement. It's another to actually listen to how they said that statement. All right, so we're going to talk about that. Give you our thoughts on the whole Arch Manning versus Quinn Ewers saga or storyline that's kind of being perpetuated right now. we got to talk about that. Before we do that, though, the NFL draft is around the corner. We just finished up the Underwear Olympics, or as some people call it, the NFL Combine, and Anthony Richardson put on a show. But where does he fall in terms of this quarterback draft class. What do you make of the quarterbacks in this draft class right now? We're going to unpack that, give you my thoughts. I'm essentially going to give you a power ranking for how I feel like these guys should be drafted. All right, so we got that here in just a few short seconds. Mike Norvell, again, about to join the program. The head coach at Florida State talked about Jordan Travis and Jared Verse coming back, talked about their tour of duty workouts. Like, we got a lot to talk about with Mike Norvell. That is a great conversation. I want to make sure you're locked in for that one. Dylan Rayola the top quarterback in the 2024 cycle has had some RPM movement. The Trojans of USC went from the third spot all the way up to the top spot as of yesterday, I believe it was. So we'll talk about his recruitment, talk to some people close to Raiola's recruitment, and just where we believe that sits right now. And also just the case for all three of these schools between USC, Nebraska, Georgia. Is it over if he commits soon? Is it a thing where if he commits to USC, it's just locked and loaded with the Trojans? Got some thoughts on it, all right? So make sure you're tuned in for that one. Also, very important that you're following me at J.D. Pakel because you drive this whole operation. I've said it before, and I took to Twitter and I asked y'all, who is a team that we're not talking nearly enough about right now, but we will be in November? when the games are being played for conference titles and we're getting ready to get into bowl season, who's going to be making some noise then that we should be talking about right now? Got some really good answers from y'all. Excited to unpack those, but we have a lot to get into. Again, Coach Mike Norvell joining us here in just a few short minutes. Before we get into that, though, we need to talk about this quarterback draft class. I have been very clear. This is a college football show through and through. Now, with that being said, these guys haven't been drafted yet. They are yet to hear their name called on draft night and put pen to paper on a contract. So until that day comes, I am still claiming them as ours in the college football community. And there's a lot of talk going on right now about who's the top guy, where does Anthony Richardson fall in this whole mix. I've got some thoughts on this. And I've been very, very open about this. I believe Bryce Young is the top quarterback, the top player in this draft. I'm Kevin Costner on draft day. Got a sticky note crumpled up in my pocket, and it says, Bryce Young, no matter what. 
And I don't care how tall he is. I don't care what he measured in it. I don't care if he's wearing high heels at the NFL Combine to make himself look just a little bit taller or what Alabama says on their roster. Doesn't matter to me. In fact, knock an inch off of his height, and I'm still taking him number one. Make him 5'9". Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. You want to know why? Because when you turn on the tape at the high school level, at the collegiate level, Bryce Young does his thing. At the top level of high school football in the Trinity League in Southern California, where you play all the top programs in the country, Bryce Young, California Player of the Year. Then you go to the SEC, you play for Alabama, the, the NFL junior, essentially, of what college football is. Wins a Heisman Trophy. Probably could have won another Heisman Trophy this past season had he had more help around him. I think that's a very real conversation you could have with Bryce Young. And everyone wants to talk about the risk with drafting Bryce Young. Ah, oh, he's got a slight frame. What if he gets hurt? He's only one hit away, you know? You know what? Everybody's one hit away in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position. Everybody's a risk at number one. If you're going to take somebody number one overall in the entire draft, yeah, that's a risk you take. But what's the risk with not taking Bryce Young? What if you miss out on what Bryce Young could be? Because he's shown you what he is at the high school level, at the collegiate level. He has been phenomenal. I understand that he was injured this past season at times, but he still, one, played through it, and two, injuries haven't been a thing for him throughout his career. Okay, college, college football, football in general is a physical game, and Bryce Young was never a guy that was, you know, week to week every single year. He was pretty healthy for the majority of his career. So I think Bryce Young's going to be a success. Whoever you take is a risk. But Bryce Young, from what he's done on tape and what we've seen him do, I don't understand why we're getting so caught up in this height thing right now. Also, food for thought, we've seen the shorter quarterback work. We've seen Drew Brees work. We've seen Russell Wilson work. Heck, we saw Baker Mayfield work for a period of time. Height doesn't seem to be the determining factor. Would you like him to be 6'4"? Sure. But you pass on Bryce Young, I think that is more of a risk than it would be to draft him. It's my own feeling on that. Also, make sure you're subscribed. College football content every single day. We want y'all locked in with us. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, at JD Piquel, to stay up with all of this, okay? Next guy I would take is C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Now, I can already tell you what the knocks on him are going to be. Like, if you're anti-C.J. Stroud, here's what you're probably saying. Well, he never beat Michigan. How'd he play in those games? Threw for 349 in one game and threw for 394 in the other game. So if you want to pin those losses on somebody at Ohio State, I get he's the quarterback, but you can't tell me he didn't show up in those games. You say, okay, well, his wide receivers are so good. Heck, I could, I could throw to those wide receivers. I could throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba. One, I promise you, probably couldn't. Second of all, guess where else the wide receivers are good? National Football League? I'm not worried about C.J. Stroud having weapons in college. I'm not knocking him for throwing to really good receivers. Still got to get him the ball. Okay? The other thing people are going to say, well, he's not mobile enough. The game is trending more and more towards a mobile quarterback that can do it with his legs as well as his arm. Someone like Bryce Young. I'd say, okay, well, he is the first guy we're taking. Second, if you don't want to draft C.J. Stroud because he's not mobile enough for you, that's fine. If that's truly why you don't want to take him, more power to you. I would say this, though. I saw C.J. Stroud take the field in the biggest stage of his career 
in the college football playoff against the number one team in the country in the Georgia Bulldogs, the best defense in college football, put on a clinic. 200, excuse me, 23 for 34, 348 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. I think C.J. Stroud still has more in the tank. I think he's still coming into his own as a quarterback. So if you want to pass on C.J. Stroud because the mobility thing, that's cool. That's cool. It's your draft pick. But I wouldn't do it if he's sitting there and Bryce Young's been taken. I think C.J. Stroud is a really intriguing prospect and honestly one of the higher floor prospects in this whole draft. Now, at number three, here's where we're going to get some pushback. Here's where people are going to start to bark at us a little bit, and that's fine. I'm taking Hennon Hooker as my third quarterback in this draft class. I understand he tore his ACL, but listen, why are we all of a sudden getting amnesia about Hennon Hooker because he hurt his knee? Why is that causing us to forget that at one point in time he was the runaway Heisman Trophy winner? Also, he put on a clinic the last two years. 58 touchdowns, five interceptions. To me, this is classic NFL draft time overthinking. Okay, the ACL, yeah, it's a bummer. You wish it didn't happen. You'd like the quarterback to be healthy. There's a risk there, too, if you take him that early. I understand all that. But in terms of just quarterbacks that I would trust with my franchise, the ACL is going to heal. Hunter Hooker's going to get better. He's going to be eventually ready to roll for you. And I take him ahead of a lot of the other guys, all right? I'll just say that. We've seen Hendon Hooker be successful. I don't understand why the ACL is causing us just to throw that away. Okay, he didn't run at the combine, didn't work out at the combine, but he's got it under the hood. I'll just say that. The, the whole narrative around him is, ah, system quarterback. My response to that would be, is a system quarterback beating Nick Saban? Can you strictly be a system quarterback and beat the greatest coach of all time? Forget what Alabama had or didn't have in the secondary. Tennessee had a lot of opportunities to lose that football game. And because of Hennon Hooker, in my opinion, they won. So I don't want to hear the whole system quarterback thing. I think you could can, can say that about any of these guys, to be honest with you. So Hennon Hooker, for me, based on what we saw from actually playing football, again, the sport that they're being drafted to play, I saw more than enough to take him. Now, Anthony Richardson is our fourth guy. And I get the hype on him, right? Like, I understand he went berserk at the combine. And he has all the tools in the world, rocket arm. And the combine, to me, is it's understandable why there's hype. But I'm just here thinking, like, did we not already know this about Anthony Richardson? Like, all this did to me was put a number to what we already knew about him. We knew he was really fast. How fast? Okay, 4'4". Four, four. Yeah, sounds about right. Really big. Yep, 6'4", 240-ish. Cool. Think we all kind of knew that already. I get it if you're drafting him as someone who you trust to, to develop, right? Like, if you throw him in there day one, I would personally have some pause about that. Why? Again, going back to the whole narrative around the combine versus actually playing the sport. Had some really great games. For the most part, though, pretty inconsistent. I get the rocket arm. I get the freakish athleticism. I understand all that. But also, there were seven games of the 12 that he played where he threw for less than 200 yards. Now, maybe you say, well, give him Ohio State's offense. Give him Tennessee's offense. Okay, I'm cool with that. I'm just saying the accuracy wasn't there for me. He's right around 60%, maybe less than 60% on his career, actually. 
So that's not great. And also threw for like 60 yards against Missouri. That gives me pause. If you draft him to develop him, I get it. Very, very high reward, but also very high risk. And so juxtaposing that with a guy like Hennon Hooker, who threw five picks in two years, and AR, who threw something like almost double digits last year, I believe he threw out around nine interceptions. You see why I have some pause here? When it comes to playing the sport, AR, tons of ability. I get the excitement, I get around the potential, but again, I have a hard time spending a first round pick, my first round pick rather, on AR if these three cats are still on the board. It's my own opinion. Now, Will Levis is a guy who has been the face, it feels like, of this draft class, this NFL draft class, rather, when it comes to the quarterback position. Now, I get the excitement around him as well. And what he did at Kentucky left something to be desired production-wise. And you say, okay, it's Kentucky. Offensive line wasn't great. He'll have better weapons when he gets to the NFL. I think that's all true. But here's what I just can't shake about him. What's going to happen with these interceptions? Are the interceptions on the weapons? Are the interceptions on his offensive line? The decision-making piece isn't going to get easier when you get to the NFL. In fact, it's going to get harder. Those windows are going to close quicker. That shot clock, when it comes to dropping back, it's probably going to be a little bit sped up. And so he threw 10 and 13 interceptions the last two years. 23 for those of y'all that are big fans of math at home. That's not just going to go away. He threw two picks against Youngstown State. Going back to the comp with AR, I get the tools. I understand that. But when it comes to playing the game, there were things that Will Levis did not do effectively that would make me concerned to draft him. Again, with the caveat that Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Hennon Hooker, and Anthony Richardson are all still available. And you lose the mobility aspect of what you'd have with Anthony Richardson. So that's how I feel about my top five. Now, here's one guy that I just have a feeling we're not done talking about yet. And that's Georgia's former quarterback, Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett, I don't know if he's got anything that's just extraordinary. Like, I don't know if you watch him and say, yeah, he's got the tools that we really want for an NFL quarterback. Probably not. And you hate the arrest thing that happened. Like, you hate that's now a thing you have to talk about on top of the fact that he was a walk-on and maybe he's a little bit, how do I say this? He doesn't have the tools that you'd want an NFL quarterback to have. But I would say this. He's got the it factor, which you can't really test for, in spades. You can't ignore what he did at Georgia. Georgia had been trying for a long time to get over the hump and to find a way to win a national title, and they'd recruited great quarterbacks. But even so, they had a five-star on the roster in JT Daniels, and who ends up winning them two national titles but one Stetson Bennett? He's got the it factor. I think he's extremely football savvy, and he could be a guy that you snag. I believe some people have him in the fourth round. He could be a guy that you snag in that range and ends up doing wonders for you. So for him, it's a little bit lower risk, maybe higher reward, but that's been the narrative around him his whole life. It's always been the afterthought. It's always been the everybody and then Stetson Bennett. So this is no new territory for him. I'm excited to see how he responds. I hope the arrest thing kind of stays in the backseat for the conversation around Stetson Bennett because he's a really good football player and sounds like it was just a, a poor decision, poor mistake. Live and learn. But for me, that's how I see this NFL draft class shaking out when it comes to the quarterbacks. Again, 
do not let the combine, not the draft prospects, excuse me, the, the draft process change your outlook on these prospects. Okay? At the end of the day, they're getting drafted to play a sport where they just played 12 games of that professionally. So keep an eye on that. Again, I think this is going to be a lot of fun to track over the next couple of days. They are college footballs until they put on that hat for whatever NFL franchise that drafts them. But that's the way that I see that, I see that shaking out. All right. Mike Norvell, head coach at Florida State, was kind enough to spend some time with us, and this was a great conversation. Got to ask him again about Jordan Travis and Jared Verse, ask him about the pressure that's now on Florida State that maybe wasn't there before. Also asked him about recruiting against other in-state recruiting powers in Florida and Miami. So really great conversation. Excited to hear what y'all think about this. But without further ado, here's Mike Norvell. Welcoming now the head coach of Florida State football, Coach Mike Norvell. Coach, appreciate you making some time. How are we doing today? Uh, everything's going well. Uh, excited. We're start spring practice come Monday, and uh, you guys have done a great job in the winter program. Really looking forward to getting out there on the field. You have one of the coolest winter program names, Tour of Duty, the Tour of Duty workouts. What goes into those, and what's the meaning behind that name? Well, you know, it's uh, as as every program has their, you know, their standard or the way that the things that they're going to do to try to build the identity of our team. Um, you know, this is that this is ours. And, you know, as I tell our guys, I miss mean, the backbone of our of our uh, program, the way that we work, the, the investment that's that are made. I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of great work that goes on in the weight room, you know, what guys are doing in the meeting rooms. But uh, when it comes to those tour duty workouts, uh, we try to have the uh, the hardest, most grueling, you know, you know, opportunities for our guys to be able to grow and to build not only their physical uh, conditioning, but their mental toughness and, you know, just uh, continuing to, to develop in the efficiency of how we move. And so uh, your know, guys have done a great job with it. And, uh, you know, I really like uh, the, the steps that we've taken throughout this winter program. And such an exciting 2022. I mean, double digit wins going two and zero in the state. What's the feeling around that building right now within your team? I mean, it's, it's a hungry football team. It's one that, you know, we, you know I was more excited about, you know, some of the steps that have been taken, um, you know, the, the things that were done, you know, last year on the field, you know, we were proud of. But, uh, you know, the, the growth and development of, of who we are on and off the field is something that you know, we're still working day in and day out to improve. And, uh, you know, we've got some great players that have returned, some, uh, you know, incredible newcomers that have joined our program. And, you know, we're excited about what the future holds. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely honored to be able to coach this group. And uh, you're excited uh, for them to, to go and, and live out and fulfill to fulfill the potential that I believe they have. And, Coach, it seems like everybody wants to look to next year and, and put more expectations on y'all and heap more pressure on y'all. How do you communicate with your team now with that expectation bar just continuing to rise outside the program? Well, I mean, it's still about us. And, you know, last year there weren't, there weren't a whole lot of expectations from the outside on what we could do. And, you know, we didn't really listen to those expectations. You know, we focused on what, what we believed that we could accomplish and what we could, what we could do through hard work, through belief through, uh, you know, you know, great relationships within this team. And, um, you know, now people on the outside, uh, you're expecting, you know, probably more, um, but we're still, you know, we're still focused on us. We're still focused on controlling the things that we can control. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just going out there and being the best we can be. And uh, there's nobody, there's nobody in the country that has higher expectations than what we have. And so, uh, you know, these guys, uh, you know, they're working for it, but we got to go earn it every day. 
And that's something you talked about a lot. I mean, I listened to, I think, all of your post-game press conferences throughout the year tracking y'all's success, and it was always, it's about us. It's about the guys in these walls. Where does that internal over external philosophy come from for you? I mean, it's it, the control, the controllables. I mean, there's there's a lot of things in the world that you can't control, and uh, you know, you know, no team, nobody that's outside of this uh, outside of this building, you know, can we have you know any real impact on? But we absolutely can on on, on what we're doing and making sure that as as long as we're showing up and we're putting forth our best foot uh, and how we prepare and what we do and the sacrifices we're willing to make and and the investment that's that's going into it, uh, you know, I believe I believe in the guys that I coach and I believe in what their potential is. I believe in you know you know where we can go and and ultimately it's just about going in and living that out because um you know that, that's what that's what this this journey is all about it's about you know you know being able to maximize the potential but also you know enjoying who you get to do it with and you also place a really high value on competition that's one of the it sounds like foundational pieces of your program and y'all did a phenomenal job obviously on the field how do you approach recruiting from a competitive level against schools like the miamis like the floridas well, I mean, for us, it's about finding the right fit. You know, we want the biggest, strongest, fastest, best fit for Florida State. And, you know, that's what we've been able to bring into this program. And you look you, you look at this last season, you know, we're one of only three teams in the country that had a top 15 offense and a top 15 defense. I mean, this is it, it's taken everybody. And, you know, there weren't a whole lot of people uh, that were probably, t you know, expecting or talking about us being able to do that. But, uh, but I know who we coach. And I know the guys and the playmakers that we have. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, how we go about the recruiting process, it's, it's finding the guys guys that fit needs that we have, uh, but it's also guys that, you know, you fit the, the mindset, uh, the work ethic, you know, the relationships that, that we want to be able to build this program with. And, you know, when that all comes together, I mean, it really is a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, I think you, you've seen that. And, um, you know, we've got some great players. And we've been able to attract guys at a, at a, at a very high level uh, that are they're also feeling, uh, you know, filling those needs and bringing great competition into our program. Catch, you said it. Y'all recruit well at the high school level, but you've also just crushed it in the transfer portal. Fentrell Cypress, uh, Jaheim Bell. What makes Florida State such an optimal landing spot for guys coming out of the portal? I mean, this is an incredible university, and uh, you know we've got a, a wonderful tradition. Uh, you know, we, you know, our players and the the examples and and you know, obviously the experiences that they've had. Uh, they're some of our they're some of our greatest recruiters because when when guys are you are know, transferring and they're looking for you know their next their next destination, you know, they're looking for the same thing. They want to go to a, a place that fits you know fits them. It's going to give them an opportunity uh, to go and showcase their skills uh, you know, on and off the field. And you know, as they come in, you know, I, I just very transparent very honest on on what they can expect what it's going to look like uh you know they have to earn everything that they get but they they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves and um you know i know there's there's a lot of schools you, know, you can point to uh that have taken transfers i just think we've gotten you know we've gotten the right ones and guys that have come in and been able to be very productive and you know when when players are are making their choice of what they want to do uh, we don't have to we don't have to sell them a vision of what could happen. We can show them an example of what has happened in very similar situations. Coach, last question for you before we let you go. Jared Verse and Jordan Travis said, let's do this again. One more year, we're coming back. What was your response to that? And then what are your expectations for them and the rest of your team heading into spring? I mean, I was grateful. You know, anytime you have guys, uh, you know, and, and th those are two, you also had, 
uh, you know, Fabian Lovett, you know, Johnny Wilson, uh, you know, Trey Benson, all guys that were great players that had opportunities if they wanted to be able to uh, to go to the next level. But, you know, these are guys that, you know, they, they it tells you two things. One, they love who they get to do this with. I mean, they, they care about their teammates. You know, they care about representing Florida State. I mean, these guys are passionate about this program, but they also know that they're going to get developed and that they're going to get pushed. And, and I, I believe that, you know, all these guys uh, have wonderful futures in front of them. And, you know, it's, a, it's about that continued growth. And, you know, you know we're pushing them extremely hard. Um, and so my expectations for them is to be better than they've ever been. And, you know, that's the approach that they're bringing to these workouts. That's the approach they're bringing to the meeting rooms. And, uh, you know, definitely the approach I expect them to have once we hit that field come, um, you know, come Monday. But, uh, you know, really proud of our guys and, you know, grateful for the opportunity to coach them for one more year. Well, Coach, we appreciate you making some time to jump on with us. We're excited to watch y'all get after it in the spring and definitely hoping to catch a game down there in Tallahassee and watch y'all get after it in the fall. Absolutely. We're always welcome, and uh, you appreciate you having me on, and go Knowles. Coach Mike Norvell from Florida State bringing some knowledge for us here to the program. Now, Florida State started spring practice. I believe it was yesterday, so spring has also sprung in Tallahassee, Florida. They're going to be a team to watch this year, Nick. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but when it comes to the college football playoff, they're going to be a lot of people's dark horse pick to make some noise in that, we'll say Final Four, almost March Madness. We'll say Final Four for Florida State here in the near future, so we'll talk about that for sure as we continue. But again, appreciate Coach Norvell making some time for us. May not be the last time you see someone from Florida State on this program in the very near future. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Let's go ahead and like the video as well. We got a lot of y'all tuned in right now. We appreciate everyone tuned in live. Appreciate y'all listening to this back on podcast as well. But if you're in the chat right now, go ahead and throw us a like. If you're here for Coach Novell, throw us a like, and we'll keep this thing rolling. Now, let's shift gears here just a little bit. Dylan Riola, the number one quarterback in the 2024 class. If you've been tracking the RPM, there's been some movement now. The USC Trojans. We'll pull vault action from the third spot up to the first spot. The RPM currently reads 39.9% in favor of Lincoln Riley and company. At the number two spot, you got Nebraska with 29%. Georgia rounding out the top three with 19.4%. So how much should we read into this? Talk to someone close to Dylan Rayola's recruitment, and they told me that, yes, the RPM is trending a certain way, but USC has felt good about where they stand with Dylan Rayola for a while now. Okay, they felt good since he committed to Ohio State the first time. They thought they were very much so in the mix. Now, again, if you remember correctly, Dylan Rayola during the dead period more or less unofficially visited Nebraska, turned up at a basketball game unannounced. It was allowed per NCAA rules because his uncle is the offensive line coach. Now, this past weekend, he visited Southern Cal, all right? And it sounds like that visit went pretty well. So I just want to kind of take a step back and sort of unpack each school for Dylan Raiola. But we got to start with USC because USC has, I think, the most obvious case in terms of how they would go about landing Dylan Raiola. He got to go watch practice, got to spend time with Lincoln Riley. And that's kind of the pitch in itself, right? If you're Lincoln Riley, you can tell Dylan Raiola, hey, you want to come here and play quarterback? You want to go play quarterback in the NFL? I've got a resume that reads pretty well. Three Heisman Trophy winners. And in terms of like the risk with all three of these schools, USC feels like the lowest risk, right? Close to home, quarterback friendly head coach. It has all the makings of what you would want if you're the top quarterback in your cycle. 
So I think USC and Lincoln Riley are in really good position. And the person that I talked to close to Dylan Riley's recruitment said that one of the, the key intangibles that Lincoln Riley is able to possess in this recruitment is the way that he's able to instill confidence in his quarterbacks. Like I said, Dylan Rayola got to go out and watch practice, and one of the things that he talked about was how confident those quarterbacks look and just knowing where the, what, what they're doing when they're on the football field. Caleb Williams having won the Heisman Trophy a season ago, that's a pretty nice advertisement if you want to be a quarterback at USC. Hey, our current quarterback won the Heisman Trophy. You could be the next one. So the case for USC is fairly obvious. And it's no mystery why they're sitting where they are right now in terms of the RPM. Again, they were third. They moved up to first. But USC has felt pretty good about where they stand with Lincoln, or excuse me, with Dylan Riola as Lincoln Riley as the head coach for a minute now. The thought process was maybe they didn't land him the first time because there wasn't proof of concept yet at USC. Because Lincoln Riley came to USC, and there's a lot of movement with the portal, and Caleb Williams is going to follow him, and all this, that, and the other. But we hadn't seen it on the field just yet. We've seen it now. We've seen the proof of concept in Los Angeles. It's only been one year. And to have that ROI after one year, probably pretty appealing. Want to talk about Nebraska? Want to talk about Georgia? Before we get to that, though, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. We've got a lot to talk about as we get more and more into the spring and into the summer. And pretty soon, they're going to be playing games. So make sure you're locked in here, college football content, every single day. Also, follow me on Twitter as well as on Instagram, at J.D. Piquel. The school that is currently second in the RPM for Dylan Raiola is Nebraska. Now, they were, they were previously sitting pretty close to the top spot in terms of like a couple percentage points behind Georgia. Georgia's now fallen back to three. Nebraska stayed consistent in that number two spot. The pitch for them is all about what are your priorities if you're Dylan Raiola? Do you want to be somewhere where you have family ties? Do you want to be somewhere where you can come in and play right away and build the program back to prominence, whereas USC and Georgia are both more or less winning football games right now? Do you want to be the start of something? And if that's what you want to be, Nebraska makes a whole lot of sense. I would say the interesting thing about Nebraska is, like I said about USC a second ago, before Lincoln Riley allowed them to have the success they had this past year, the proof of concept at Nebraska isn't there right now. And so if I'm the top quarterback in the country and I have aspirations to go play in the NFL, I'm not saying you can't do it at Nebraska. You absolutely can, but you would be one of the first to do it under Matt Rule. I believe Jeff Sims will play in the NFL. I believe Casey Thompson will play in the NFL. But Dylan Raiola is of a different caliber when it comes to the stars that were next to his name and where he ranks in his respective class. So Nebraska, for me, the pitch is all about priorities. Family there, there's some loyalty there, I believe, but we'll see how this thing develops. Now, Georgia is curious. They felt really good about Dylan Raiola, I was told, for a, a period of time. The interesting thing you got away with them is they just lost their offensive coordinator. Todd Munkin went to the Ravens. I'm told that wasn't wildly surprising. Dylan Raiola has said that that was something Georgia told him was a possibility. He has a good relationship with Mike Bobo. But same thing I just said with Nebraska. It'll be a new offensive coordinator. And Georgia, I believe, isn't going to miss a beat. But it will be a new OC, comped with what's going on at USC, with what Lincoln Riley's done there. It's, it's all about weighing it versus the opportunity cost of USC, in my mind, with Georgia. It's difficult because we expect him to probably commit before his senior season, which would be before Georgia starts playing ball. 
you're asking him to commit to an offensive coordinator who you haven't really seen get to work in Athens, Georgia. So the real deal for me is you go to college to prepare for the pros, right? Whether you're playing football or not. You want to be on Wall Street, you pick the program that has the best finance opportunity for you. You go there, you develop, you get ready to go on Wall Street. Same thing if you want to play in the NFL. You want to be a quarterback? USC's got a pretty good case to be made. Not that Georgia has nothing to say or not that Nebraska has nothing to say, but it's just hard to argue with three Heisman Trophy winners. See where I'm coming from with this? You're not so much worried about the competition if you're Dylan Raiola. I'm told I think it's all about going to the best fit and keeping it all about you, for lack of a better term. I was told it's not going to be about, hey, crowded quarterback room at Georgia, crowded quarterback room at USC. Like Dylan Rayola is going to where he feels best suits him, is again what I've been told. Now, here's the other thing we've got to keep into account here. Let's just say he commits around June, because that's kind of the rumor for him taking official visits in June. Let's just say he commits at the latest June. That commitment will have to stick for another seven months. And let's say he picks USC. Let's say he picks USC in June, and then Georgia goes on an absolute tear. And then Carson Beck, before you know it, in November is a Heisman Trophy frontrunner. Does that change the conversation around Dylan Rayola and where he ends up playing ball? Because that, again, has to stick till December, till pen meets paper. So even if he commits to USC, I have no insight on this, to be honest with you. I don't have any intel on, you know, he's going to commit but keep his options open. Like, I'm not saying any of that. I'm not here to start rumors. I'm just saying it is a fact that wherever he commits to, that commitment will need to stick throughout the course of an entire football season. So USC is currently, according to the RPM, the leader in the clubhouse. It's kind of where the buzz is going is USC by a, a pretty fair margin but I would not count out Nebraska. I would not count out Georgia, especially if they're able to have success during the football season. Okay, a lot can happen in the span of 12 games. So we'll keep an eye on that. But again, USC, according to the RPM, is the front runner for Dylan Raiola. And that's a commitment, too, that's going to change some program. Like someone is going to get the future of their program. Program changer, as I like to say on this show. Spring has sprung. Spring football is here. They started spring football yesterday at the University of Texas at Austin. And who took the field but a number 16, Arch Manning? The Arch Manning show has finally begun in Austin. When I was crafting this segment originally, it was all based off of you know, spring notes and intel we had gotten from the good folks at Inside Texas, which if you're not yet following them and gotten a membership over there, they will keep you in the know to the nth degree. So make sure you're locked in with Bobby Burton and co over there. But there was a quote that came out during Steve Sarkeesian's press conference that really made waves. And it made waves in some small part because Adam Schefter did a story on it. And the quote reads, Steve Sarkeesian says, all positions are open, which then implies the quarterback position will be a competition. Now, that's the way it reads. When you say, hey, they're all open right now. Yeah, you're, you're delivering the message that the quarterback position is up for grabs. But the way that he said it and the way that it was asked to him, I think we need to take a, a deeper dive into this whole question answer, Arch Manning versus Quinn Ewer storyline we're trying to set up here. 
Put yourself in Steve Sarkeesian's shoes, and a reporter asks you, is the QB position going to be a competition? If you're a head coach and you're trying to get the best out of your entire team, much less your quarterback room, is it in your best interest to say, nope, you know what, Quinn Ewers got it locked down. It's Quinn Ewers' job, that's that. How are you supposed to preach competition and then also say it's Quinn Ewers' job, nothing you can do about it, Arch Manning? That doesn't make sense, right? That's a tough question to answer on the first day of spring ball where everyone's running around in a helmet and a jersey and some basketball shorts. So I don't think he was lying. I don't think he was being dishonest by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think he was playing chess. The way that it feels to me from the outside looking in is Queen Ewers now having one year in the saddle would have to lose this job. Now he could lose it by Arch Manning just absolutely balling out in the spring and having a phenomenal you know, fall camp, and then Quinn Ewers just lays an egg like, okay, maybe that's a reality you could live in. But I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is for Quinn Ewers to be your starting quarterback. I get the Arch Manning versus Quinn Ewers story like sells clicks and, and all that, but I'm not buying that. Based on the way Steve Sarkeesian answered that and based on just the overall situation he's in in spring ball. Think about it this way, too. Spring football is to get better. You're not playing games outside of the spring game. You don't need to get ready for your opener. Like, it is all about you and your program. And you name a starting quarterback, guys outside that quarterback room, different position groups, you're then gauging where you're at on the depth chart based on who you're taking reps with. Hey, I took reps with Arch today. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wide receiver too. Maybe I'm RB too. That's where I am on the depth chart. Don't worry about that right now. Don't worry about that right now. It's all open. We're all getting better. We're all competing. We'll worry about the depth chart when we get to fall camp. But again, I do believe it is Quinn Ewer's job unless something wild happens. And something wild could be Arch Manning taking that job by the throat and just having an absolute spring and fall camp and Quinn Ewer's doing the exact opposite. But that's not the way it feels to me right now. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and this show. We got college football content every single day. We want you locked in for it, okay? Don't miss a minute. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Paquel. Day one, going back to spring practice, kind of intel and notes, it was the Arch Show. It was the Arch Manning Show. The fact that number 16 took the field with the Longhorn helmet, it's a big deal. But that's pretty much the only takeaway you can have. He practiced. He's on campus. He's on the 40 acres. He's practicing. Steve Sarkeesian said he made some bad plays. I'm paraphrasing. He had some plays like to have back, rather, is the way that he phrased it. Made some great plays. Said he wants to be really great at this game. We're going to let him develop. We're going to let him develop. If I'm trying to track the progress of Arch Manning, the best way for me to do that is tracking where he's taking reps in relation to Malik Murphy. Now, Arch Manning more or less took the second reps, or second in-line reps, rather, I think is how you should phrase it, because Malik Murphy wasn't able to practice. Still having an ankle injury, still kind of nursing that. Something to keep an eye on. If, if we're starting to see Malik Murphy take the second in-line reps once he's healthy, then I'm saying, okay, well, how is Arch doing? How is he progressing? How quickly is he grasping all this? And don't jump to conclusions. If he's taking the third reps instead of the second reps, just let it bake a little bit. He's been on campus all of like 15 minutes lost his ID twice, like it happens. He's still, I believe, a teenager or close to a teenager, should still be in high school. Let it process a little bit, let it bake. One of the key factors in Arch Manning's maturation, actually, if you think about it, is gonna be the progress of Quinn Ewers. 
And Steve Sarkeesian said as much at his press conference. Quinn can service Arch by showing him the right way to do things, by setting the example of how a college quarterback conducts himself, how he practices, how he studies. That's important. That's important for a kid that's just gotten onto campus to be able to have some sort of blueprint for how to operate. I would also say this, Quinn Ewers and his maturation and the way that he plays is going to dictate how much pressure is on a one Arch Manning. Why? Because if he plays bad, you and I both know this Arch Manning is too talented and too visible of a figure to where people will start chanting, we want Arch, we want Arch. And those, those chants are going to grow in DKR if Quinn Ewers goes out there and throws three picks and looks awful. But if he plays well, it allows Arch Manning to kind of develop get comfortable in college, much less a college football atmosphere and a playbook and a weight room, and develop. If he plays poorly, you're going to have chance, and you're also going to have the thought as a coaching staff, I would imagine, of, hey, is 16 our best option? Do we need to put Arch Manning in the ballgame right now? I think you'd like to avoid that. Again, this is how I felt about this since he committed to Texas. He committed to Texas at the peak of the Quinn Ewers hype train. He knew Quinn Ewers was the guy. I think the plan is for him to sit. That's how I feel about it. I don't have any intel. That's how I feel about it. And I think that's what Arch Manning would like. That's what the Manning camp would like, too, to be honest with you. The way that it sounds, though, Quinn Ewers having Arch Manning behind him has, has brought a little bit more of an edge to him at practice. It's, it's allowed him to maybe elevate his game just a little bit. I mean, when you're being pushed, when there is competition, you get the best out of yourself as well. And I think that's another reason why Steve Sarkeesian said what he said. They're all open right now. We're not naming a starter or anything. So we're going to let y'all battle it out. Go do what you do. Go put your best foot forward. We'll see how the chips fall. And the fact that Quinn Ewers over the winter, according to Steve Sarkeesian, really kind of had the gears grind in a correct way, kind of started to, to work for him during the winter, and it sounds like into the spring, that's a really good sign. And again, that goes back to me thinking that Maybe there's a little bit more of an edge to him as we get into spring football. So if I'm a Texas Longhorn fan, I'd be excited about my quarterback room right now. You have two extremely talented players, two cats with, if you add them up, 10 stars between the two of them. Not a bad spot to be. I think the future of the, the quarterback position is in good hands in Austin, Texas. Some other notes, Cedric or CJ, as he's going to be known, Baxter, the five-star back that is also supposed to be in high school right now, early enrollee. Said he looks phenomenal during practice. In the one practice we've been able to see. Six foot one, 210 pounds. Steve Sarkeesian said in his press conference two interesting things to me. One, 4.0 GPA. Two, practiced with no nonsense. Like in the office where Jim holds up that chalkboard sign of days since last nonsense. CJ Baxter is currently at zero. So that's a good sign for a freshman. And I'll start with the 4.0 GPA thing. Read into it as much as you want. I can just say having been in the sport and been in those locker rooms, you have a 4.0 GPA playing a Division I sport. That tells me you are a pro. You understand priorities. You understand how to manage your time. And you're all business. Got to get my schoolwork done. Got to go play ball. Books and ball, man. Those are my top two priorities. I'm going to handle my business in both areas. I can't do ball if I, if I don't have my books correct. And for Cedric Baxter to have a 4.0, I'm just saying, again, read into it as much as you want. That tells me a lot about how mature this kid is. And to be in college only a few months and have that, it's an encouraging sign. 
practicing with no nonsense. Again, reading as much as you want, but when you get to spring football as a freshman, your world is spinning. I mean, everything is new. The, the practice tempo is different. You're seeing, you know, a, a different outline of practice on the whiteboard as you walk out. Like, there's so many things that are just sensory overload to you. And for him to practice smoothly, and it sounds like looking good doing it, it's a very good sign. It's only practice one, so read into it as much as you want. But I'm just saying, the early returns on C.J. Baxter, according to Steve Sarkeesian, are positive. He's physically, it sounds like, ready to play. Six foot one, 210 pounds. There's going to be carries to be had in that running back room now. Don't get it twisted. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, both gone to the league. Two talents that you can't just replace necessarily, but two guys that left a fair amount of production for, I would say, running back by committee to take place. Also, he fits the mold of what they want to do offensively. Really good route runner and pass catcher. One of the things we loved about him here at On3, Charles Power has him as a five-star for us in the 2023 cycle. So C.J. Baxter, a guy to continue to watch as we get rolling in spring football here. One last note, Steve Sarkeesian talked about as his press conference, Xavier Worthy played the majority of last year's second half of the season with a broken hand, more or less. Now, this is interesting. This changes the entire perspective you have on how he played in that Alamo Bowl game. Now, I'm not letting him off on what he said about, will you be at Texas next year? He could have shut it down right there and said, yeah, I'm going to be at Texas. I'm so excited. Instead, he just said, we'll see. You know, I'm happy to play in this bowl game, and, and you know, we'll deal with that after the, after the season. I'm paraphrasing. That was the sentiment. Could have shut it down. He didn't. But in terms of in-game production, had a couple of drops that made you think, man, he's checked out. Man, Xavier Worthy must not want to be here. He's halfway in the portal already. I don't think it's novel analysis when you have a broken hand and you're a wide receiver and your job is to catch the football with your hands. You can't do that to your top level of performance. It's very difficult to do that. And so that to me gives me a little bit more encouragement about where Xavier Worthy is with this football team. And I was I was. Transparently, I wasn't sure what it was going to look like during spring practice and after spring practice. Sounds like he was one of the first guys on the practice field and the guy they're excited about going forward. So Xavier Worthy playing through a broken hand even. I mean, you don't love your football team if you don't play through injuries. I'll rephrase that. If you don't love your football team, you wouldn't play through a broken hand. So Xavier Worthy, I was really impressed to learn that. And truthfully, I felt a little bit bad for all the backlash he got from that Alamo Bowl game with the way that he dropped some of those passes. Again, a broken hand. Absolute warrior playing through that. So I'm not buying the Archmania versus Quinn Ewers storyline. I think there's still a lot of football left to be played, obviously, with the spring and the fall. But I do believe it is Quinn Ewers' job. We'll see how it unfolds during fall camp. But that's the way I feel about it right now. Be excited about C.J. Baxter and Xavier Worthy playing through a broken hand is notable, to say the least. Now, if you're not following me on Instagram or on Twitter, at J.D. Pakel, it's very important you do that because we get to ask you questions and hear from y'all, and it's what we do at the end of every show. We appreciate y'all rocking with us in the live chat. But right now, want to welcome in the keeper of the queue, Nick Heavylifter Brick. Nick, how we doing, big dog? Dude, I'm doing pretty good. Whew. You're lifting uh, heavy, man. Yeah, a uh, couple issues at the beginning of the show, guys. Apologize. We were on a couple minutes late, but uh, here we are in living color, as you say, J.D. Just making and, it happen. Um, 
as you said before the show started, so you've been kind of doing Instagram or Twitter questionnaires instead of just asking you basic questions. Uh, this time, J.D., you want to refresh the crowd uh, what your question was? Yeah, absolutely. The question was, which team are we not talking nearly enough about right now that we will be talking about come November towards the end of the season? So more or less, who's your sleeper? Who's your team that's not getting enough buzz? Got a lot of really good answers, Nick. I, I know uh -huh. we're about to get to them, but really impressed by uh, the, the response from the, uh, the audience. Yeah, and this uh, first one um, from at TJ underscore Penninger. As much as you're talking about FSU, it's FSU. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. And TJ, a friend of the show, I think it's fair. I mean, you heard Coach Norvell take the, the mic just a few minutes ago when we were talking to him about his football team. There is new pressure in Tallahassee. And they paid him for what he's done already with his new contract. Like, he, he got paid in relation to the results he's gotten. But I think they locked him up for the future. Like, the years on that contract are for what they're going to do in 2023 and the expanded playoff. I mean, so Florida State, for 2023, I am just fascinated to see what they look like against Clemson. Because Clemson is right now the standard in the ACC. And Florida State, they're coming for that crown, and they have all the pieces back to get it done. Jordan Travis, Jared Verse. Like, there's a lot of firepower in-house at Florida State to where if it's not this year, when's it going to be? So I'm excited to see what they do. But, yeah, it's, it's a fair statement. This is kind of the year for Florida State to really make a run at this thing, and they're primed and ready to go. So we talk enough about Florida State, I feel like, but yeah, we'll, we'll listen to that. We we'll, talk, we'll, yeah. We'll listen to that. And TJ was fair to say that as much as you talk, because you do talk about Florida State quite a bit. Uh, J.D., I did pose a question to the crowd uh, while you were talking to Norvell. Um, Florida State in 2023, uh, is it a bowl game? Do you play for the ACC championship? Do you um, – do you appear in the college football playoffs or do you win the national championship? Uh, 74 votes. 47% of people say they play in the college football playoffs. Ooh. Not win, but play. J.D., um, it's early, but if you had to choose, and I, I know you like to play politics here, but which one would you choose for now, J.D.? I'm curious to see that response. I would say college football playoff appearance is reasonable, but you may need to win the ACC, not may need to, you probably need to win the ACC and go undefeated to, to get there. I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the SEC, maybe even the Pac-12 with USC, that are going to be vying for those four spots in the last year of the playoff as we know it. So I think pulling a, a Clemson of old and going undefeated, running the table, I don't know if we'll see as much chaos as we saw in the past, but I say that now when we're sitting here in October about, you know, a two-loss team making the college football playoff. So that, that's my thoughts on it, Nick. But I think Florida State definitely is, is in a good spot, and a college football playoff appearance is not an unreasonable expectation. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll go to the next question. Um, or next answer, Jack says UCLA, J.D. The Bruins. The Bruins of Westwood. I mean, this is interesting because whether it's Colin Schley or Dante Moore, one of those guys is going to be a first-time starter for UCLA. Colin Schley, obviously, I believe he's coming over from Kent State, maybe. And then you got Dante Moore coming from the high school ranks. And one of Dante Moore's key factors in picking a school was, hey, I want to play early. One of the reasons why he flipped from Oregon could be a, a thing you talk yourself into if you're a Nebraska fan for Dylan Raiola. Maybe that's a big deal for him. But going back to UCLA, I'm curious to see what the Pac-12 looks like this year, Nick. I mean, Bo Nick's coming back for Oregon. USC and Caleb Williams going to be on a mission. Unfinished business is their whole thing. So 
whatever happens at quarterback position there will be, I don't think it's a secret, will dictate what they're able to do in 2023. Chip Kelly, really quarterback friendly system. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about UCLA, Nick, when it comes to 2023 and how, the, how they're going to fare in a, a heavy returning quarterback Pac-12. Mm -hmm. Well, Jack's not going to be happy to hear that. Uh, last question, or last answer, excuse me, uh, from Luke Langdon. Notre Dame, okay. Sam Hartman train right here, J.D. Yeah, Luke Langdon was actually my high school quarterback, Nick. He went nice. to Army. He's a Notre Dame fan. I feel this. Luke, I'm, I'm with you on this one. Notre Dame, I think if you were to talk about sleepers, talk about Florida State, talk about Notre Dame. And Notre Dame with Sam Hartman, they're going to be dangerous. Because like I've said, they have that sort of rough persona. They, they play in the trenches. They play in the line of scrimmage really well. But now you add a quarterback who's a proven commodity, can sling it all over the yard, ACC all-time leader in touchdown passes. Like, there's a lot of pieces there, Nick, for Notre Dame. Like, they're a team that, again, they don't play in a conference title game, so they're one of those teams that you talk about. Maybe they have to go undefeated to feel good when it comes to Selection Sunday and them making the dance. But Notre Dame, I think, definitely deserves to be talked about a little bit more by some of these uh, these national types, Nick. I think we do our part in Notre Dame, though. What do you say? I, th I think we, we talk a fair amount of the Irish. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty high on Notre Dame this year. And I think kind of the one thing that everyone always has reluctancies, because the, the AP always seems to like Notre Dame at the start of the year, and it's always sort of hit or miss if it's actually going to ring true. Uh, but this year, wherever they go, if they're, as long as they're in the top ten, I think they deserve it, J.D. I'm with you, man. I think there's going to be – a lot of buzz around them when it comes to the expanded playoff and mm -hmm. what's going to happen with them joining a conference. Because, again, the automatic bids are going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Notre Dame played in the ACC during the COVID year. Yeah, We'll see what happens. But, yeah, Sam Hartman makes them dangerous. Yep. But, Nick, we'll I appreciate it, man. I know that was our, our last question, correct? Yeah, or our last, yeah. Our last and one more thing. Uh, you talk TV deals all the time. Big Ten and NBC's deal kind of makes things interesting because what happens with Notre Dame when that deal expires because yeah. like well we already have the big 10 do we need notre dame anymore so i'm curious that's the only thing i think keeping them out of a conference so uh we'll see jd i'm curious to see they've left money on the table has notre dame before with the whole contracts and, and plan on nbc and things like that so they're they're a curious one to try and figure out but i just wonder as the music continues to speed up and the chairs go off the board what does notre dame do what do they do in relation to TV deals? But, Nick, appreciate you holding it down, man, and, and yep. making all the heavy lifting happen, brother. We'll see you on Thursday. Oh, yeah. Thursday it is. Again, Nick Brake lifting heavy, seeing everything that you are doing, everything that you see here, rather, getting this plan off the ground and getting to y'all's thoughts, feelings, concerns during our college football therapy. But we appreciate y'all. Listen, we have a stocked guest list coming up on the hard count. Like the video. Follow me on social media, on Twitter and on Instagram, at J.D. Paquel. I'm going to slowly be releasing who we have next on the show. If you're not late listening on podcasts, go ahead and subscribe and give us a five-star review there. We appreciate you in advance for that. Apple or Spotify, wherever you get it, you can find the hard count. College football does not stop. We do not either. We will be back on the air live on Thursday. We'll have content for you up until then, though, with one-off videos and different things going on, keeping a pulse on the college football landscape going forward. Golly, man, spring has sprung. Spring Intel is here. We'll keep you in the know. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.